Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Bible Ponder. I wanted to do a, a quick video to kick off this series where we're going to be looking a bit at um, small bits of the Bible, small bits of theology that have a, a pretty outsized impact on the rest of what we think and even how we tend to live our lives as Christians. Um, and so I thought back and forth about where a good place to start would be, because in some ways I've mentioned quite a few different ones throughout the last couple of years of doing this um, Bible Ponder. Um, but there was one in particular that I think is an interesting place to start, because it's a discussion that, um, to be honest, we don't really do all that much in churches. Um, we tend to um, kind of make an assumption that, that we all sort of have a similar view of what scripture is and what the bible is and what its importance is in our lives we we tend to um yeah just make a lot of assumptions about what we all think about that so i wanted to talk a bit about one verse in particular that um is one of the linchpins of what we tend to think um about scripture and its importance for our lives as Christians. So that verse, um, as soon as I read it, I think you'll all kind of recognize it. And it comes from the book of 2 Timothy. And that's a bit of an important thing that we'll talk about um, at some point in the video. But the verse goes like this. It's first, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's one of quite a few um, 316s of the Bible, um, the most famous being John 316. But there's a, a lot of 316s that have happened by um, kind of coincidence that are very important verses. So this is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed or is inspired by God in, in the NRSV here. I'll read the NIV because I think that's um, that will word it in a way that's quite familiar to us. Um, let me just pull it up here. Right, the NIV. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that is what the NIV has to say, and I uh, imagine that that's familiar to you. If not, then um, it will be an interesting thing for you to learn about how that verse has come to um, dominate a lot of our discussion about what the Bible is and what makes the Bible um important to us as Christians. So all scripture is God-breathed. God it's um, literally one Greek word that is a combination of the word for spirit, which if you remember hearing um, different people talk about the word spirit, spirit often means breath um, or wind in both Hebrew and Greek. The Hebrew and Greek words for spirit both mean breath or wind as well as spirit. And so we actually have um, Theo penustos, which is literally God breath. Um, so it is literally God breathed. Um, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And so the jump we tend to make from this is that this verse is talking about the Bible itself as we have it in our hands, as we hold it, and we have it on our bookshelves, as we have it in the uh, backs of our pews or the chairs, as um, the case may be in your church. Um, and in ours, um, and, and that's kind of the jump to make, and that's often how we read this verse. Um, and that, that often then means by a further jump that all um, of that Bible that we hold and that we have is 
perfect, maybe even um, for some people infallible, and that um, therefore all of it is the ultimate authority about all things um, in the world, all truth, all knowledge, everything is there in your holy Bible. Um, and there are a few problems with this um, line of reasoning itself. Now, I'm not going to at all say that the Bible is in no way important for us as Christians. It is incredibly important. It is our scripture. It is what we have had passed down to us through the centuries by the um, by the brightest and most influential Christians throughout history. They got together and they agreed that this collection of books of the Bible is the Holy Scripture. It is the Holy Bible, and that's what we have, and that's what guides us and instructs us. We are not um, ever going to um, disagree with that or throw that to the side. But at the same time, we need to have a better understanding of what this verse is talking about. So a couple of things to um, remember here, and we can apply some of the things that we've talked about in our previous series about interpretation, how we approach things, and also um, even just this last series about how we apply our study and knowledge of history to um, what we're looking at. So the first thing to think about is, what does um, the writer here of this letter think is scripture? Because if we're taking this to be the Apostle Paul, which um, I'll just go ahead and let you know that most scholars don't think that the book of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul himself. It's written in his style. It's written in his name. That's not some weird thing for the ancient world. I think for us in our modern world, um, the idea of like plagiarism or taking stealing someone's identity is, is quite a big thing. In the ancient world, it was really quite a common thing to have letters or books or historical documents that were written in a style of and even claiming to be, in some sense, um, a certain author. And that didn't mean that that person was necessarily trying to fool other people. Um, so you could write a letter as, say, Plutarch um, to someone, and it could just be a, a letter that's existing that you're sending out, but you're not actually trying to fool people that you are Plutarch. I think the people will know that you aren't, um, but it's meant to be in his style and his rhetoric, and, and you can kind of move on from there. And, and so there is a, a lot of evidence to suggest that that happened um, in the early church as well with some of what Paul wrote. And so um, quite a few of his letters, most of the big and important ones, um, are pretty undisputedly written by the Apostle Paul himself, but others um, could have been written just in his style, and there are certain differences in theology. I won't go into all of it, um, but needless to say, kind of 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, especially, the theology is quite different than most of Romans and 1 Corinthians and Galatians and, and such. Um, different enough that you can see that someone who is wise, who is um, respected in the early church, but maybe isn't the Apostle Paul himself. Um, so that's one of the first things to remember. The second thing is to remember is, even that being the case, this is not written, or this is written well before the leaders of the church sat down and decided what constituted the Bible. So just by the fact of time and history, um, Paul, or whoever has written this, could not be referring to the Bible as we have it today. I'm doing this as if I'm holding an actual book. Um, but it could not refer to the Bible as we have it today because it didn't exist. Um, it wasn't collected. It wasn't gathered all together and put into one sort of thing. 
So then the next thing to assume then is, well, could this be referring then to just the Old Testament scriptures? Um, maybe, probably. Um, another interesting thing um, to then do, if we're going back to our interpretation stuff that we've done in previous things, is to look at the context. What is the rest of the um, letter trying to say? This letter is ostensibly written to Timothy to encourage, to give him wisdom, to give him guidance. And remember, Timothy is a younger man than Paul. Paul picks him up. He's actually a Gentile and he's a convert. And in the book of Acts, we have the story of Paul actually circumcising Timothy in order to remove a bit of a barrier, even though they had just agreed that circumcision wasn't required for being a Christian. Um, Paul circumcises Timothy anyway in order to sort of remove a barrier of... Um, uh, of um, kind of a, a difference of opinion between people. So they couldn't say, well, Timothy's not circumcised, so we're not going to listen to him. So he circumcises him. So that's one thing to remember, um, and also to remember about the sort of historicity of this document. So let's read the whole paragraph, um, although paragraphs are um, sort of artificially put in. It says, uh, back to verse 10. We'll start there. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. And whoever has written this is, of course, referencing things that did happen to the Apostle Paul. He was in those places. He did suffer persecutions there. It says, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. So this is about exhorting him to, you're going to face persecution, you're going to face trial, you're going to face people who are going to try and tell you that what you've learned and what you know is wrong. They're going to try and deceive you, so hold fast to what you've learned. And who's he learned it from? He's learned it from people like Paul, Apollos, other um, disciples and apostles. He says, and uh, you have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And now that's interesting that you have known them from infancy. Has Timothy known them from infancy? Remember, he was circumcised by Paul in the book of Acts. So I'm not sure he is necessarily familiar with all of the Old Testament from infancy, but um, he could have been aware of a lot of it. He could have known some of it. He could have been um, Jewish. But to be honest, for him to have that is, um, is maybe a bit of a historical misnomer says, O Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking. So what's Paul talking about? Is Paul trying to make a just once-for-all proclamation about the nature of Scripture, the nature of the Bible, and its infallibility, its inerrancy, its accuracy? No, he's talking about using wisdom and using what you've learned to judge between what is deceptive and what is truth. And so even then, Timothy is to be, um, be wise, be clever. He's supposed to use his brain to decide. So first we've noticed that it's not all of the Bible because it couldn't be historically. 
Second, we've noticed maybe what Paul or the writer here is referring to isn't even just the Old Testament in its entirety, because Timothy might not have been familiar with it from infancy, or maybe this is just someone writing about something else. So one of the things we have to remember, and this is a big trap for some Christians and some churches, is when you make that leap from this verse to the idea of infallibility or inerrancy, as it's called in um, some sort of technical language, that means that nothing in the Bible can be wrong, nothing in the Bible can ever be mistaken, you end up in really difficult places because parts of the Bible are obviously mistaken, are obviously historically inaccurate. We know that now um, through our study of history, of archaeology. Um, before, you could claim this when you didn't have as much knowledge as we do now. The knowledge we have now shows that pretty clearly parts of what is recorded in the Old Testament is not perfectly historically accurate. And if you are insisting on the Bible being inerrant, you either have to try and find a way to explain how what we've discovered through um, archaeology, through history, through scientific study, you have to try and explain how either that's wrong or how somehow what the Bible is saying is actually right and we're just reading it wrong. And um, or you have to admit that the Bible's wrong. And then if you're insisting on inerrancy, then your whole faith falls apart. And that idea of inerrancy of infallibility has never been part of what Christianity has believed. Even when the church fathers got together and put the Bible together and named it as such, and named it as scripture, named it as the Bible that we would have as Christians, they did not say this is perfect and infallible and inerrant. They were just collecting the most important books for the church. So to make that jump from scripture being God-breathed and useful, remember that word useful for teaching, to a jump of inerrant, takes us to a dangerous place in a place of um, what happens in some churches, and, and again, some of the churches I grew up in, where you have a, almost the Bible almost as an idol in itself. And the Bible actually becomes the thing that you start to worship more than God. And the logic that you use is the Bible is inerrant. The Bible tells us about God. Therefore, everything we have is in the Bible. Um, but the problem you have in that, besides, again, just historical errors in the Bible, is there are moral errors in the Bible. There's people held up as heroes who are not good people morally, even by the Bible's own moral code. You also have um, a real big problem that began to be noticed, especially around the time of the Second World War, when part of Nazi propaganda was using and misusing bits of the Bible in order to justify their persecution of the Jews. Some of that based on the way that Martin Luther saw Jews and his own anti-Semitism. And it goes back to some of that. And so what theologians started to see is, if the Bible is so perfect, how can people use it for evil? And the answer is the Bible is not our God. We can't make an idol out of the Bible itself. The Bible is useful, even if we're to make this jump here to talking about the whole Bible and not just the Old Testament. The Bible is useful for teaching, rebuking. It reveals to us part of who God is. And that's why historical inaccuracies aren't a problem. That's why the stories of some of the bad people in the Bible aren't necessarily a problem because the stories and the, the whole of the Bible is there to reveal to us part of God's character. Um, we're also seeing God's character revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, who is um, told 
to us by some of the gospel stories, but we also can know Jesus in other ways. We also know God in other ways. And so to hold the Bible up as an idol, as the one true um, thing that we can have, leads to a lot of abuse, a lot of dark spiritual places where people can use the Bible to control people, to do unspeakable evil acts, um, all the while holding the Bible in your face and telling you, well, the Bible's perfect and the Bible says so, when most of the time it's their own opinions that they're then filtering through the language of Scripture. So this one verse has a really, really big impact on how we see the Bible, how we see um, the rest of theology and how we live our lives and whether or not we begin to idolize the Bible almost as God, God's self, as opposed to seeing the Bible as a collection of ancient documents that are revealing to us one portion of who God is. Um, I hope that was interesting for you. Maybe you learned something new. Maybe you knew a lot of this already, and this was a bit of, um, of, of a moment of just going, yeah, yeah, well, well I knew that. If so, good. I'm, I'm glad. Um, but if not, I hope it was informative. I hope it was useful for you and maybe something you want to look into a bit more. So thanks for watching, and we'll catch you with the next episode. Have a good evening.